Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was lucky. I was one of the fortunate ones. She said, go, fly. You can always come home. That was my favorite, my favorite line. You can always come home. <laughs> Which I was like, no, I'm good. I love you though. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I have one of the stars of the prom with us today. It is Ariana DeBose. Hello. And I already congratulated <laughs> you before we started rolling, but again, because you deserve it. Congratulations on the movie and everything you've accomplished so far. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So I warned you, we do a little bit of everything on Ladies Night. And I want to go back to the very, very, very beginning what is the movie, the show, the performance, personal experience, you name it, that first made you say, I have to be a performer? Oh, I would say the first like experience, because it was an experience. Um, oh my God, I was like six. Like I knew at six years old, I wanted to be a performer. And I was, it was our dance studio recital. And I was dressed up as a daisy. And I realized I had done good because people were clapping. And that's uh, what did it for me. Daisies, ballet, clapping. Yep. A very, <laughs> a very reasonable assortment of stuff there to spark it all. When you were that mm -hmm. young and you pictured yourself, you know, making it in the industry, what did you picture? Because I know you're, you're talented in a whole bunch of different ways. So was it dancing? Was it, you know, being a Broadway star? What was it specifically? You know, I sort of saw a little bit of everything. I was a highly imaginative child. Um, so I guess, I think I thought I was going to be Julia Roberts. If I'm really honest, my mom loved Julia Roberts so much. We watched a lot of her movies, but we also listened to a lot of Whitney Houston, right? So I sort of saw like glimpses of 
pretty woman and my best friend's wedding and runaway bride with the side order of like Whitney's I want to dance with somebody and the bodyguard like it was a lot of that and then of course you know enter West Side Story and Rita Moreno in the purple dress so I just thought it was all I wanted something that looked like that <laughs> I don't know it's kind of exciting because in a way, I feel like you're getting there. You're, you're kind of ticking all those boxes. Something sense. like that. I mean, uh, by no means am I anybody Julia Roberts or Whitney Houston or Rita Moreno, but um, I, I like to think that I'm inspired by all of them. And I, I, I don't believe anybody's style should be duplicated or recycled. So find, find your own spice, your own like, or make your own lane and, you know, be inspired by all of those people. Yeah. That right there is what you're doing. That's the way to describe it. Yeah. So, Make your own lane. <laughs> at, at what point did the mind frame switch from I enjoy, you know, dancing and performing to I actually want to make this a legitimate career because we all know how difficult it is to make it in this business. So when were you like, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. going to commit to that lane no matter what it takes? I think I was 11 or 12 when I saw my first Broadway show and uh, which was Rent, we, they were back to back, Rent and Aida. Wait, how old? And I think I was 11 or 12. Rent, rents, told you. Rents, rents a lot for a 12 year old. It is, but you know, I might've been a little younger. I can't quite remember, but they were like, no, nah, it's great, let's do it. And I loved it. I'm, you know, and they explained to me what the story was about. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't know people had to deal with that. Da, 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 da. Cut to me living my whole life, like as I am. More on that later. Anyways, that's sort of when I clocked that you could be both dancer, singer, actress. And I'd walked out of Aida, walked out of the Palace Theater and saw a giant billboard of Bibi Newworth. And I recognized Bibi from Frasier as Lilith, because that's what I was watching at the time. <laughs> I don't know, guys, I don't know, eclectic upbringing. Um, and I was like, oh, wait, she dances and clearly she's in a show, so she must sing and she's on TV. So I'm gonna do that. And then I think I had, uh, I sort of started to shift my focus as I was training. I was already training very seriously as a dancer. Um, so I just made it my goal to be really versatile. And then I moved to New York when I was 19 and just was like, yeah, you're not going home. Good luck, girl. Make it happen. That was pretty much it. That was the conversation with myself. <laughs> what about the conversation with family? Did it take any convincing to make them fully believe that, you know, it's okay for our daughter to not necessarily pursue a traditional career path and go for something that comes a little more risk to it? I was lucky. My mom knew that I wanted to dance. I had been really training hard as a dancer for a long time. Like middle school and high school, that's what I did. I danced. I was dancing at a competitive dance studio. So, you know, Dance Moms, that television show, like yes, that, yes. but like not like that because <laughs> not. I know yeah. you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was very, very serious about my training. So I think she always knew I was gonna pursue some line of work in the arts. Um, I was really smart and I made good grades in school, but I wasn't necessarily book smart and I, I didn't test well. So traditional pathways of learning were not really in the cards for moi. Um, 
so she was great. My mom raised me as a single parent. She's a school teacher. Wow, that was loud. Apologies. Um, it happens. Oh, bless. Um, but I was lucky. I was one of the fortunate ones. She said, go, fly. You can always come home. That was my favorite, my favorite line. You can always come home. Um, which I was like, no, I'm good. I love you though. I think that was the first thing that my parents said to me when I decided to move to LA. They're like, you go do that, but you can always come home. Here we are. Do they know lockdown would bring me home? Hey, and you know what? That's a safe option. <laughs> safe option, my friend. It, it's true. No complaints. I am in good company and very happy. Good Timeline good. question here for you, just to make sure I have all my notes right. You moved, you said you moved to New York City when you were 19. When did So You Think You Can Dance happen? Was Did, did the move to New York happen before or after that show came into your life? After that show. I was 18 when I did So You Think You Can Dance. How exactly do you come to the decision to show off your craft on a reality show? I don't know. I was, I look at it now and I was like, wow, that was gutsy. That was a choice. Um, I had grown up watching the show and I had several, several of the contestants from like season one and season two, I had trained with and danced with over the years. So in my teeny bopper brain, I was like, well, they can do it. I can do it. Why not? Um, so I, I told my mom, oh my gosh, it was the week of finals. I was a senior, senior year finals week. I was like, I'm gonna go audition in Atlanta. She goes, cool, cool, you have two finals on Monday, be back in time. So me and my friend road trip down to Atlanta, Georgia, and I auditioned and I, you know, kept progressing, progressing and I did make the show. And that was an insane idea that I had, but I'm glad I did it because it led me to New York. So here's the next question, because in my very detailed research, like we reading your Wikipedia page, basically, and yeah. and more but wikipedia in particular calls your so you think you can dance experience your breakthrough so did oh. it feel like a breakthrough as as in it opened doors for you or is maybe that a, a more extreme uh term to describe post so you think you can dance life for you um that would be an extreme term to use to describe so you think you can dance i don't consider that a breakthrough in fact i would consider it a redirect um, it was, like I said, I learned a lot from the experience. I, these days when I talk to young people and they, they want to pursue the show or any reality show that has to do with performing American Idol, um, America's Got Talent, I do remind them that it is a television show. So it's not necessarily about talent. Sometimes it's about casting. When I was 18 years old, I didn't know that. And, um, you know, emotionally, it, it got me when I got sent home. It, it took me a while to recover from that because when you're 18, you don't have the tools to necessarily deal with that. So I call it my redirect because energetically LA, Los Angeles was not for me at the time. Um, so it sent me to New York and back to theater, which is sort of where it all started to make sense for me. Um, and, you know, the theater really gave me my breakout, but I don't know if 
later down the line was more of a breakout for me. I don't know that people actually even recognized me from So You Think You Can Dance. Very few people did. <laughs> I don't know. Admittedly, I don't watch the show. I feel like uh, reality TV is my family's department. So in 2020, okay. while I'm living with them, I've watched more reality TV than I ever have over the course of my life. I bet. I mean, it's a guilty pleasure. I watch some things. I don't watch a lot of things, though. What is, what's the last reality TV show you watched? Um, I watched the, like, British baking shows, things like that. I, I'm more into the food reality show than the, like, put everybody in a house reality show. Um, that stresses me out. I hear a lot of good things about that show. I will say, though, just Fabulous. to plug Netflix even further during this conversation, um, Love is Blind <laughs> might be yeah. one of my favorite dating reality shows I've ever seen. I should get into it because I i didn't watch that. I was working when it came out initially, so I didn't really have the time. But I have plenty of time now that I'm not. <laughs> so maybe that I, will go on my to-be-watched list. I do highly recommend that. <laughs> okay, so here's where I'm going to show the fact that I, I don't know as much about the Broadway scene as I do about film and television, but okay, you moved to New York at 19 after So You Think You Could Dance. What, what about the theater work you did in North Carolina? What was the show that popped up there? Because the thing that I don't quite know a lot about is, is it a normal thing for a show to start in a different area other than New York or LA, then go on tour and then wind up on Broadway? Right. I mean, okay. So bring it on the musical. Let's talk about that. Okay. Um, that was the, my first real big job in New York City. And it taught me how to make a musical because musicals aren't just put together in two weeks. That's not actually a thing. <laughs> I wish it was, but it's not. You, there's like a reading phase and then there's a workshop phase and you're just sort of creating in a room. So I did the workshop of Bring It On. And then I was lucky enough for them to say, hey, will you come do the show, a real production in Atlanta? So Atlanta, at the Alliance Theater was its out of town tryout, which is fairly normal. A lot of shows, most shows will go out of town. They could go to Chicago, LA, um, the Alliance Theater for an out of town tryout and then go back to New York City. Bring It On was one of the first shows to go on tour after they did their out of town tryout. So that was actually Actually, something that was a fairly new concept, but it was great for me because I'd never done a show before and it just taught me about stamina and discipline and, and also like full disclosure, I was able to like mess up. Like that was sort of like my human collegiate experience, but I was working and being paid. So you couldn't mess up too much, <laughs> like minute mess ups. Um, but it was great to be able to do out of town, tour, and then go back into New York. So I made my debut on Broadway at 21. Yeah, I was 21. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but just to compare messing up 
on a show like bring mm -hmm. it on while you're in the touring and the workshopping phase versus messing up in a scene like the prom where it's a big ensemble and you're shooting a big song and dance now like what makes you more nervous because in, in my mind i'm like you could breeze right by it maybe and no one will notice on stage but if you have to stop a take and redo something because someone messes up i mean put it this way i'm glad that i got used to what it looks and feels like to make mistakes on Broadway, on and off Broadway, because by the time you do get to making a movie like The Prom and you're doing scenes with all of these very lovely legendary people, you feel less bad <laughs> about messing up because also you get to watch them flub up. You know what I mean? Like. I, I didn't I wasn't alone when I when I needed to be like oh let me take that back let me let me just walk it right on back what's going on start again you know because every once in a while Miss Merrill would be like no <laughs> or you know or Keegan would like stutter over a word or something or Carrie would be like mm, yikes like it just we were all so human while we shot it and that that was one of the great things I was like oh okay I'm all right. I could do this. I got it. I like hearing that. I feel like I picture, you know, someone like a Meryl Streep just being like pitch perfect and essentially floating through air when she makes every single production she works on. I mean, she is practically perfect in every way, but also perfection being that there's like, you know, you're beautifully imperfect as well. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really do believe that. And I think she's a great example of that because her work ethic. Nicole as well, the work ethic to like get it right is just, it's incomparable. But then by the time you, those cameras roll, they are just whew, magnificent. Also a big believer that striving for, for that kind of perfection is important, but sometimes like the most magical moments can come when yeah. you least expect them and when you do something different. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit of everything there. Mm -hmm. Guess what else I have to ask you about? Hamilton. Oh my gosh. Okay. I didn't expect that coming. Nope, I didn't know see it exactly, all. How exactly you got involved because we had um Emmy Raver Lampman on the show a couple months back okay. and she was telling me just this like whirlwind wild story where it all happened so fast and you know during that project she's busy thinking how can a show about the founding fathers possibly work but then it all kind of came together. So was it as wild of a journey signing on for the show as she had? Um, you know, I, that musical started, well, that musical and I started circling each other while I was doing my second Broadway show, uh, which was Motown musical. And <laughs> um, I'd done some little readings here and there, just helping them like play with music. And then I was in Pippin when they offered me uh, the contract to go off Broadway. So, and then I stayed with it until I left the show. Um, but it, it, I don't know, it just sort of happened. And then once, once the show was given to the world, for me, that's when things got crazy. Because I was just treating it like, this is any other show. Yes, I love these people. I'd love to create with these people again. Because I'd worked with Andy Blankenbuehler and Lynn and Alex Blackamore. I'd worked with them already on Bring It On. So... I was like, yeah, let's go back in a room and make some stuff. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is, this is like society changing, culture shifting, 
stuff. All right. And that's when it got crazy. Um, but it was, it was, it's still hard to describe because <laughs> it was bananas. Like people just fell in love with the show and all, Hollywood and, and, you know, the political world came out to see the show and you got to meet so many of your heroes or, wow, weird tense. I got to meet so many of my heroes um, and, and it was exquisite, you know, to be a part of something like that. But again, hard to really describe, but just awesome. <laughs> I was uh, I was a big baby about it. Couldn't get tickets. And I wouldn't let no. myself spoil the show by listening to the music before I got to experience it in its fullest, which is why I'm extremely grateful that Disney Plus, Disney Plus released it this year, because not only did I finally become a huge Hamilton fan, but it's the only movie, I think, in all of lockdown that got every single person in my household to sit in the seat from top to bottom and watch it together. Yes. See, that's the thing. That's the power of good theater. And what I loved about uh, the film of it was it still captured the show. You still got a theatrical experience just through through a lens, right? Through a slightly different lens. And it's the same story told from a different vantage point, but the, the it still lands, its message does not change. And, um, and you get to see, I mean, for me, watching it with my family, uh, we were all just like, wow, look at, look at the ensemble members. And I'm like, yep. Those are my colleagues. We were nailing it. Just saying. Um, <laughs> it was a really special experience. Again, the power of theater to unite people of all ages, races, creeds, ethnicities. Like it's really, really special stuff. It's so true. I've felt it in more ways than one this year. Here's another question or an answer that Emmy gave me that makes me want to toss this question to you, because one of the things she highlighted about that production was how, you know, some of the, the folks that are higher up on the call sheet, how they operated as leaders in order to create a really good environment for everybody working on the show. So is there anyone for you in particular that kind of set a good example as a leader and you hope to take what they did for you on that show to other productions in the future? Oh, man. Renee Goldsberry, just, she's a queen. Her energy every day, no matter what was going on, she just led us with such grace. Um, she was like the mother of our company in a way. It was, she was amazing. The door was always open, source of advice, but she also had good boundaries. I really, I've come to really appreciate that about her um, as I move through my career good boundaries are important. Um, and also for me, like Chris Jackson and Javier Munoz were really influential on me. I learned a lot from them about integrity and, and honoring the process, staying focused, um, but also just still being good humans, right? Showing compassion in moments where compassion is not expected. Um, those would be the folks that, that did it for me. I love hearing that's that's why I ask it again. I love hearing <laughs> it really does feel like a special one. Now, to move into the next phase here, I did want to ask about your decision to leave Hamilton because I imagine you want to do more things than just one thing, but it was a hugely popular show. So I imagine that decision might have been a scary one to make. Yeah, I mean, the, leaving the show wasn't necessarily as... Um, 
nerve wracking for me because um, I am actually a person who I believe in an expiration date because I don't like getting stale because Broadway shows, you can do them for years. Um, and that's great. It's not my style personally. Um, so once I reach a certain point, I actually stayed with Hamilton longer than I've ever stayed with the show. <laughs> but I digress. Um, more, what made me more nervous was leaving the show and choosing to try and book more featured roles or leading lady roles, um, because that's not necessarily how the industry saw me, right? That's not the box that I fit in for them necessarily. So I had to change a lot of minds or it felt like I had to change some minds in order to, to find success. And I got lucky because I, I walked into a golden opportunity <laughs> when, I, um, when I auditioned for um, what was a developmental workshop for the Donna Summer musical. And it happened to be produced by the same folks who were, uh, who were doing a Bronx Tale, the musical, uh, which was uh, Zach, Jerry Zach's Robert De Niro, Chaz Palminteri project, who I have, you know, just revered since I was a child. Um, so for me, those two projects came in like the same week. And I couldn't believe it. And I was, they, they offered me Jane in a Bronx Tale, which was their leading lady, but she was like more of a feature. And then Disco Donna was basically a full-fledged leading lady. She had an incredible emotional journey to go on, um, in addition to being incredibly physical. And, you know, not for nothing, I had to sing MacArthur Park, like, yo. And I wasn't too bad at it. I'm, I didn't disgrace our lovely lady Donna. So I was very proud of that. But those were hard choices. They're not easy because people look at you sideways a little bit, um, trying to figure out if you don't necessarily feel like, like it's good enough, like what you have is not good enough in the moment. Um, but that definitely was not the case for me. I just wanted to continue to challenge myself. So yeah, that was a long-winded answer. I'm sorry about that. No, but it's I mean, it's worth saying. I can't imagine it going any other way. You you saying that at the end catches me by surprise that some folks out there might look and think, well, aren't you happy with what you got when? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a very clear path to bigger roles that seems obvious to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, as much as I'm an artist, I also, I consider myself a business person of sorts. I made I made a very conscious decision to get to know the business of my business. Um, and to me, that path was obvious. If I wanted to, if I was willing to work for it, then theoretically I, I could achieve it. Uh, so that's what I did. But there were many people who looked at me sideways and I've worked to um, change their minds. I don't know if I have. After a while, you also learn like you can't change everyone's mind. They have to, that's on them. Um, but I, I lead with love and I, I just keep doing what I'm doing because it's, it's working and I'm, I'm proud of the work I'm doing. And I am, I have found the challenges I was looking for and what I'm doing now, it ain't easy, but I'm so thrilled by it. Like it makes me want to get up in the morning. So it's definitely working. Keep doing what you're doing with that mentality of wanting to continue to learn about the business side of it. Do you have any hopes to, to produce and create your own projects? One day, yeah, I'm constantly looking for stories that I am inspired by, that I would like to develop. Um, 
you know, I don't really know what the word develop means yet. Um, I'm very grateful for people like Kerry Washington, um, who, you know, I met on the prom, who's become such a good friend, sort of like a sister and a mentor, um, because she does have her, her production company. So through her, I'm learning a little more about what all of that means. Um, in addition to having an incredible team um, now that has, you know, taught me so much about Hollywood in a short amount of time. Uh, so yes, the answer is yes, there, there are, things I want to do. And I have a feeling I'll have to do them myself. And that's okay, because I love a challenge. <laughs> I'm eager to see you do it all. All right, getting <laughs> into the prom. Before we get into specifics about the movie, I did hear that this was your first, was this your first junket for the prom? Your first yes. <laughs> How did it go? What surprised you the most? I love hearing about the behind the scenes of that. Uh, I had a really good time, but it was like, there is a stamina that comes with the junket that I was not prepared for. Um, I love the aspect of talking to so many people because as you can see, I like talking to people. I like the engagement factor. Also in a virtual world, it's a different ball game because you are your own clothing person, you're your own stylist, you're your own set designer, lighting designer. I mean, you know, sound tech, internet tech, like it's a different thing. <laughs> but I, I made it through. Um, and I'm, I'm much better for it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I found the, the little cheats. I think every actor finds their little cheat for themselves. Um, Do I dare ask for you to share a cheat? Well, if I told you my cheats, I'd have to kill you. I mean, we are, I don't know where you are right now, but you can't get me through Zoom. Or actually, maybe you could, now I'm thinking of like creepy Zoom movies I've seen. Creepy Zoom seen. movies where it just like movie? someone comes. Well, have you seen the movie The Host on Shudder? No. Do I want to see the movie The Host on Shudder? I don't know how you feel about horror movies, but it is very, very good. Okay. I will have to like, you know, pour myself an adult beverage and cozy up on my couch. That's but fair. I'll do it. Steer, steering <laughs> away from creepy horror territory. On the prom, you've got an absolutely incredible ensemble. You don't need me to remind you of that. Of everybody in it, whose process did you find to be the most similar to yours? And who challenged you to adapt the most? Coming at me with these questions. Okay. You know, this sounds dumb, but what I could see of her process, Meryl's. <laughs> Which kind of made me feel better because I was like, oh, I'm doing it right. Like, I'm, I'm creating characters, okay? Like, everybody does it a little different. But I was like, oh, those, we have, we have similar toolboxes. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually the truth. But what I observed made me feel good about how I was creating a character. Funny thing is, that's not the first time I've heard this on the show where someone will reference Meryl to give themselves more confidence in what they're doing. I feel like no matter what it is and how specific it winds up being, there's something about her that kind of radiates that yeah. kind of energy. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, she's a wonderful human. Um, I was really heartened by, I mean, she's also a mom. She's got such beautiful motherly or maternal energy that just shines through. Um, I think it's part of her charm. She's also very funny. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, I think I I think her commitment to her craft, right? And she has roots in the theater. I think people forget she started in the theater. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I, I see I see what's happening here. It's good. And I love how playful she is, which I have become when I, I made West Side Story before I made the prom. Um, and I was incredibly playful on that set. I was grateful that I was allowed to be as playful as I was. Um, and to see her be some be like that uh, was heartening. But there was a part two to your question. And who did I learn most? The flip side the of it. Who challenged you to adapt the most? God. Probably Keegan or James. And Ryan. I mean, Ryan is, it, as a director, like, Ryan's very much just like he's a shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He knows what he wants um, and he will get it out of you. Um, there were days where I thought I was really hitting it and he never said, no, Ariana, you're not hitting it. But there were moments where he was like, keep walking. Ari, keep walking. Walk. <laughs> and I felt so bad because you, you do, you just have to, you just got to adapt, right? You got to be malleable. And I think that's the greatest lesson sort of period about working in film. It's not about you. It's never about you. Um, I had figured that I had figured that out before I got there. But just in general, like filmmaking is about so many other things before it's even about you. <laughs> uh, so being malleable is the best thing for you in general. Is very true, which is why you surround yourself with people that you trust, and you definitely yeah. have that here. Here's another yeah. big question for you that doesn't have a simple answer, I would imagine. But one of the things that impressed me most about what you do in this movie is Alyssa goes on a pretty significant arc, but she's a supporting character with limited screen time. So what were kind of the pillars of that journey that were absolute musts in order to make that journey that she goes on work in the end? Because it just, it blew my mind how all of that worked so well and hit me so hard in the end but then if i add up you know the amount of screen time everybody has you had less to work with but you accomplished that much thank you i'm so glad that that's how you received it like that is the greatest compliment thank you so much um you know i think it's how you described it there are very specific moments and if you don't land those moments then you have not done this girl justice I think when it comes to, number one, you have to cultivate that chemistry with Emma. That was important to me because you don't see the girls together a lot, right? So I had a short amount of time to, to try and make the audience believe that like, this is the girl I wanna be with, right? And that's, that has to do with just, natural chemistry and if it wasn't there <laughs> I would, yeah, shot in the foot but thankfully how can you not look at joellen Pellman and be like totally taken by her she's incredible um and then again you know there's a coming out moment there's the which is it's the coming out moment like you you have to land that and it's there's several layers on it she's a girl of color coming out to a black mama and that's tough so if, if I didn't have the life experience I have, I wouldn't have been able to endow that with half of what it holds. Um, 
You know, I don't know that I have a good answer for your question and it's such a good question, but I think ultimately, I don't know that someone could have played this role on screen without having these very specific experiences, you know, or understanding that life experience. I do applaud Ryan for making the choice to hire girls, women, young women who identify somewhere on the rainbow spectrum. Um, because if you don't walk that walk, you cannot talk the talk in this case, this particular case. Um, and, uh, you know, being a woman of color specifically, it's a complicated order living in 2020. Um, so having the material, even though it's not a huge uh, amount of material, there was enough space to go through that. Uh, to go through the emotions of that and if she had had less material than what is actually there i don't know if we would have been successful it does that answer your question it, it does but honestly i wasn't expecting just like a plain old simple instruction list too it, it seems like something you have to feel which i think is well you do answer you just gave yeah you do you do have to feel it it's um God, character building it's complicated and I, I just love that in the end, it isn't necessarily the amount of screen time that you have, but it's the impression that you leave people with. And yes. that's what's going to wind up reverberating through, you know, yeah. someone's first and viewing and then beyond of this. Right. And that's how I feel about theatrical work as well, you know, on stage. It's not about the amount of material. It's what you do with your material. You mm -hmm. know, I watched Katie Finneran in Promises, Promises. She had less than 15 minutes of stage time and she won a Tony. Like, it's not about how much material is, is there, it's what you do with it and how you make people feel. And I love that about screen, you make a very good point. It's that energetic thing that comes through the camera that changes people, makes people feel. I felt a big time here. Now I gotta creep a little closer to guess what, West Side Story. But first, a combo, a combo question here. Having had the experience of working on both the prom West Side Story now, and I, I guess maybe even bringing Bring It On into it in a sense, what can you get out of telling the same story in, in different formats? What do you get through performing for a feature film that you don't get on stage and maybe vice versa? You know, the screen the silver screen allows you a little more latitude in how you let an audience get to know a character. Um, the toolbox, as I've said before, my toolbox that I create characters with, it's the same no matter what medium I'm in, at least that's what I've, I feel now. Um, but you have more opportunity on screen because you can storytell in a different way, like change the angle, change the lighting, like. It, it all says something about a person um, in, in tandem with the performance that's being given, right? So you have more of, a, more of an opportunity to allow that relationship between character and audience to manifest, I believe. Whereas on stage, you have quote unquote limited resources, right? You're playing to a house, they don't get unless you're in the round, they don't get the privilege of having that 360 view of you 
they don't really get the privilege of seeing that good, good close up and what's going on right there unless they're sitting in the first five rows. So it's a, it's a different thing. It really is. Um, I often say my theatrical work, it's, it's bigger, but it's bigger on purpose. And when I'm small, I'm small for a very good reason and it's used very selectively. Um, but on screen, it's, it's right here. You do, you, you do more feeling, less working on camera. I could see that. Now a little more specific on West Side Story because I'm a little bit of a Jurassic Park nut and Steven okay. Spielberg enthusiast in general. So what expectations did you have going into working with him? And then how did he surprise you? I had no expectations. He was more collaborative than I expected. He wanted my ideas. He used some of them, which for me was like, oh my gosh wow, you really did let me inform this character and inform your vision of, of the world of West Side Story that you see in your head, because he very much works like that. He has the whole movie up here storyboarded. It's incredible. He in and of himself was a shock. Didn't expect Steven to be the Steven that he is, which is a very, very, very good, good man. I like hearing the way you describe that because I feel like that in and of itself justifies retelling stories too because you never yeah. want them exactly the same or trying to be the same you want it with that that personality and that unique drive behind it and I'm just gonna yeah. hold tight to what you said right there it's I really really believe that's what we did and I believe that's what he did and like I said I'm really excited for people to see it um now with that being said I haven't seen it but I did see my playback and my playbook playback looked really exciting. Um, so I was, I was, uh, as far as, you know, the dancing is concerned, I will promise you a very good time. <laughs> I have to wind down with you. Sadly, we always end ladies night with some random questions. Okay. I will ask you first, what is the most recent movie or show you watched? The crown season four. I need to get in on the crown. I feel like I'm intimidated by how many seasons I am behind right now. It's actually, you don't, I mean, I would encourage you to start from season one, but it's not necessarily necessary. <laughs> um, it's a slow burn. It's, it's cerebral. If you had to eat one meal over and over for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Macaroni and cheese. It's an A plus choice. As far as I haven't heard that one yet. What is, no. a, what is a new hobby you've picked up in lockdown? I don't know if I've picked up any. I read more. I do read more. Yeah. Articles, more like articles. Uh, yeah. I feel like I've done the the shift from audiobooks to actual reading because I'm not in the car going anywhere anymore. Ding, ding. <laughs> Would you, uh, I'll go with a silly one. Would you rather have to fake sneeze or fake vomit in a scene? Fake sneezing is more fun. Okay. Physically, physically to me, it's more fun. The, I always get hung up on the challenge of doing a convincing fake sneeze, but then I'm also yes. grossed up by vomit. So I don't think I would go that direction either. <laughs> Well, then there are so many choices as to how you, like, what is it? What are, you know what I mean? Like, is it a gross looking soup? Like, what, what's in there that you're, I don't know. 
I feel like yeah. if it was made of peanut butter, I would do the vomit thing. Oh yeah, but I'd, I'd swallow, which would not look good. Oh no. So, you know, cause I like peanut butter. I don't know, bad. That's why I stick to sneezing, sneezing. I might have the same problem, so I should go sneeze too. All right, I'm, this is the worst transition in the world, but I always end on this question. It's a little bit of a deep one. You can go deep, you can keep it light if you want, but I always find it's good for people to hear this from someone they might admire from a movie or a show. What is the biggest fear you've had that you've actually managed to overcome? Oh, it's a fear I have every day, fear of failure. And how you define failure, it's different for everybody. I, my definition changes daily. Um, I don't, I don't like failing or letting people down. That's really my, that's what gets me when I feel like I've missed the mark and let someone down. Yeah. In a sense, I feel like being aware of that is a way of overcoming it. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a way of overcoming it. But I, I believe that no matter what your fear is, like you should face it every day. Um, there's, it's like that quote, do something that scares you every day. I, I think you should do something that you fear every day, even if it's most in its most minute form. This is why I asked that question. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for all your time today. Huge no, congratulations on the prom and everything to come. I'm so pumped for West Side Story and Schmigadoon too. I didn't ask you about that. But oh, it's going to be great. It's such a love letter to 1940s musicals and all oh, just, it's great. Golden age realness. Can't wait. I'm so pumped. To everyone out there, thank you for watching this edition of Collider Ladies Night. Now, if you haven't already, go check out The Prom, streaming on Netflix. See you guys thank soon. You. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.